Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. I was uh, speaking in Orlando at a conference last week where I flew out of Charlotte where it was 44 degrees, landed in Orlando where it was 84 degrees, and felt the Lord speaking to my spirit. And uh, he said, Nathan, you should plant a campus in Orlando, and I want you to be the pastor. And uh, so I've fully submitted myself to the Lord, and uh, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, when I fly, I guess, I don't know if it's because I fly often or have some miles with the airline, but uh, I get to board uh, one of the first people to board the plane. Um, I'm in that group that gets to board first, and uh, they call it preferred boarding. I'm not trying to sound like I'm a big deal. I'm just saying I'm preferred uh, <laughs> flight. Um, and so they, have, they even have this lane, like preferred people board the plane in a different lane than the basic pilgrims on the rest of the flight do. And so like I'm, I'm, I have my own lane, and it's got red carpet, and it's, it's separated by a velvet rope, and so it's kind of a big deal. And so uh, they, they call the, the different groups, and so I'm in one of the, one of the first groups. Um, but uh, on this particular day, it was last Sunday, uh, some people that were not in the top four boarding groups were clogging the preferred lane and uh, causing the preferred people not to be able to get on the plane in, in a timely fashion. And uh, so I was kind of bobbing and weaving through people that were, were, were the peasants, basically, that were there. Uh, they were blocking the lane, and so I was like, hey, I'm trying to get through, let me get, they already called my number, I know they didn't call your number yet, they, you may get your bag on, you may have to check it at the gate, I don't know, but my, my group's already on, and uh, so we even threw them, and uh, I, you know, I was just going through my head, I was like, man, it, it's so clear, right, it's, it's a lane for the preferred people, and then there's a, a regular lane, and I'm trying, to, like, this is my lane, and this is your lane, and I'm trying to go through my lane, I'm trying to do the right thing, like, I'm trying to follow directions, and you are not. And so I finally got through and got seated, and uh, when, when I got seated, you know, the, the flight attendant comes on and gives the spiel and, and begins to read off all of, the, all of the rules of the flight. Please make sure your seat belts are fastened and your tray tables and seats are locked and in the upright position. Uh, please take a moment now to put all of your electronic devices, uh, stow them, put them away. If you have a, air, a phone, put it in airplane mode. Our crew will let you know when it's safe to pull out these electronic devices. And just as a reminder, if you will listen to music or enjoy the in-flight entertainment, please be sure to use headphones. I heard all that, and I did all that. Unfortunately, the 15-year-old girl that I was sitting beside didn't hear any of that because she was FaceTiming with her 16-year-old boyfriend of whom she told me she was deeply in love with. And she said, I'm going to be gone for 48 hours and I won't see my boyfriend. My heart's crumbling for her. <coughs> and uh, it's like, man, that's, that's so terrible. And so they're talking. She's talking. They're talking about how much they love each other. I love you. I love you too. I miss you. Please text me and call me every hour. I can't, I can't believe I'm going to Disney World without you. It'll, it's only 48 hours. And I was like, good grief. This is crazy. And so we're taxiing now. We're really breaking the rules. We're taxiing. And uh, we're, getting ready to, we're getting ready to take off, and she's still, now it's great, like they're just, she is having an emotional fit right now because they are separated. 
and going to be separated. And then, here's the, like the straw that broke the camel's back was right before, like she was just devastated that at any moment we're going to take off and she's going to lose cell reception for her beloved for the next one hour and 16 minutes. And she can't handle that. She's losing it. And, 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 and right before uh, we took off, um, they started calling each other by their pet names. Okay, wow. And so that was just too much for me. I didn't want to be a pastor or a Christian anymore. And so I just turned to her. <laughs> And I said, hey, look, <laughs> I wasn't in Winston, so nobody knows me over there. Um, I was like, look, uh, I don't, I, you didn't hear this because you were head over heels talking to your beloved 16-year-old boyfriend here, and I know you're an emotional wreck right now, but the lady on the intercom said to please take your cell phone and put it in airplane mode because here's the deal. If we crash because you are FaceTiming with your boyfriend if I survive the flames, I am going to be so mad at you if I find that out. She thought I was kidding because she laughed it off. Was not kidding. Um, right as we took off, she hung it up, and I was like, man, like, did you not hear her? She said, airplane mode, I don't want to crash. Five minutes into the flight, haven't even reached cruising altitude yet, and about two or three rows behind me, I hear music. And so somebody has turned the radio on or, you know, is listening to it on their phone without headphones. And when it first happened, I was like, oh, right now, I can just imagine it right now. They're, they're embarrassed that they're, they didn't have their headphones plugged in. They can't find their headphones. Like, they don't know how to turn their phone off. They're, right now, they're feeling really bad about it. And they're searching and they're like, oh, well, I want to go in. These headphones don't work. I'm so embarrassed. But we got through the verse of the first song. And got to the chorus, and we started the second verse. And it's still loud. And I'm looking to the people beside me. I'm like, can you hear that? She's still sobbing. I'm like, yeah, drama. <laughs> can you hear that? Can anybody else hear that? What is going on here? Like, did you not hear the lady say that you have to have headphones? And it's getting, like, it's getting so drastic that I'm thinking about hitting the call the stewardess button on the top. I'm just like, if I call somebody... And they walk close enough. I'm not even going to have to say anything because they're going to hear that somebody is back there breaking the rules, doesn't have the headphones, is being a nuisance to the preferred flyers all over the plane. And I'm not even going to have to say anything. Finally, they put the headphones on. Obviously, someone beside them shamed them into obeying the rules. And, and when, when we landed in Orlando, when I landed, um, it, the 84-degree weather totally melted all that stress away. Um, but as I was walking through the terminal about to go to get the car, uh, I, I caught myself. And I asked myself a question that I've never asked myself before. And a question that if you knew me, you would never think anyone would ever ask me this question before. And I, I said to myself, self, are, are you a rule follower? What is going on here? Like, you, you, you got mad about the, the boarding lane, and then the girl that wouldn't turn her airplane mode on, and then, and then the other person that didn't have the headphones. When, when did you start caring about following the rules? Because if you called my mom and you said, yeah, Nathan's a big rule follower, like, she would laugh at you. She would say, he's never been. A, I've prayed that he would be a rule follower his whole life. And, I, like, I, I have enjoyed for a long time sticking it to the man and never following the rules. And, like, so, like I, I never even thought about it. It was like, Nathan, are you a rule follower, and, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but like all of a sudden, I'm starting to care about the rules. I, now, I don't know if these are rules that I care about because if we break them, we might crash and die, but it's still a, a, a rule follower. Are you guys rule follow any rule followers in here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Here's how I can tell you're a rule follower. 
you didn't want to out yourself, but when I said raise your hand, you were like, shoot, I have to do it. Now he's like, it's a rule. Crap. <laughs> That's how we know you're, you're, you're being real right here, that, that you're rule followers. Here's the worst thing about rule followers. It's not good enough for you to follow the rules. You make everyone else follow the rules too. Like it's not good enough for you to get into the plane and flip your phone to airplane mode. You have to tell the 15-year-old emotional wreck beside you to do that as well. Like it's not good enough for you to bring your headphones and for you to board in the right lane. You have to make sure that everyone else follows the rules as well. And it makes rule followers really difficult to be around sometimes. This is the story of what's happening in Galatians. Paul plants this brand new church. They love Jesus. They give their life to Jesus. They're following Jesus. And here's what happens. All of a sudden, some rule followers, some religious rule followers walk in the door. Now, it's not good enough for them to say, now, these are the rules we follow. This is what we do. This is what we believe. No, no, no. They, they aren't satisfied with that. Because if they are going to be religious rule followers, that means you are going to be a religious rule follower as well. And so they start implementing all of these rules and telling other people that this is what you have to do. And it, well, it's actually not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus some other things. And these people in the church of Galatia all of a sudden started following them and following all of these rules. And Paul writes this, this letter to the church to, to help them understand something. And he's going to address a specific rule today in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. One specific rule that these religious people have implemented that everyone else is now trying to jump on board with is this rule that if you love God, if you are a Christian, if you really want to impress God and be on Jesus's good side, then you have to be circumcised. So today we're going to talk about circumcision. If you're a first-time guest Welcome to Rebo. And uh, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, if you were invited some, by someone, I got to tell you, I told everybody last week that I was going to be preaching on this, and they invited you anyway. And so they're either a really good friend or they're playing a really bad joke on you. But either way, you're here, and it would be weird if you got up and left now and the doors are locked. And so just <laughs> let's settle in. Galatians chapter 5, if you had it. Here's, here's what I really want to talk about today because it is a passage on circumcision. But here's the real issue. I want you to know whether or not your faith is real. That's what these religious people are saying. Your faith is not real. You are not a real Christian. You're not a real follower of Jesus. You're not really in touch with God unless you follow the rules. And this is just one rule that they're talking about. We could replace it with a lot of different rules. That's a big question that I get as a pastor from people. They'll say, I, I, I want to know, is my faith real? How can you tell? How can you tell if it's a real faith or if it's just something you've heard or an emotional thing you got caught up in or if it's just something you believe? Like, is my faith real and how do you know? Paul's going to lay out six things in this text that I think we can learn. Six things that we're going to have to decide. Six subjects. You're either on one side or the other. And Paul says if your faith is real, like you have a real relationship with God, if you really know him, then your life will be marked by certain things. And so here Paul's going to begin with these really, really easy, really practical ways to know if your faith is real. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, this is Paul talking here. Just want to let you know, this is, this is me, Paul, out of all the people, tell you, 
that if you let yourselves become circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated not just to obey that one rule, but now you must obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Paul opens it up with a very provocative idea that I think many people that call themselves Christians are struggling with today. There is a possibility that you can be totally free, but yet still be a slave. Paul says there's a possibility that you met Jesus and gave your life to Jesus and you were a slave to sin, but God opened up the door to your cage and yet here you are 5, 10, 20, 30 years later and you've never left the cage. The door is wide open, but you're still in bondage. You're still in slavery. Or Paul says there's a possibility that you were enslaved to your sin. You were in bondage to the rules. God opens up the door of this bird cage. You hop out of one cage and you fly right into the open door of another cage. It's a bigger cage. It's a nicer cage. It's a shinier cage, but it's still a cage because this cage is the rules. It's laws. It's Hoops you have to jump through in order to impress God and to feel like you're actually on God's team. And you don't even realize it, but you flew from one cage into captivity of another cage. God made you free, but yet you are still a slave. The first thing that we can learn from this, first takeaway, if you're taking notes, jot this down. You want to know if you have real faith. Which one of these two words describes your faith? Try or trust? Try or trust? For some people, if they're real honest with their faith, here's the best way to describe it. Try more, try harder, try to be better, try again, try something different. When you fall, stand up and try again, try, 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 try. Maybe if I try hard enough, God will love me, I will be a better person, I will get in on the team. And Paul says that is not faith, that's slavery, that's living by the rules, In total opposition of that, the try game is trust. Man, the only thing that marks our faith, the only thing that gives us freedom is that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus. Not in what we have to do, what what we have to continue to do to honor God and to garner his favor, but we're trusting in what Jesus has already done when he already gave his life on the cross for us, when he already forgave us of our sins, when we were already welcomed into the family. Try versus trust. See, what Jesus has done for you is not give you a prison transfer. He gave you a get-out-of-jail-for-free card. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for you to say, hop out of this cell where you're a slave to sin and jump into this cell where you're a slave to following the rules and impressing God. No, he says, no, get out of the cell altogether. It's not a prison transfer where we're transferred from the prison of sin to the prison of religion. No, it's freedom through Christ. It's a call not to try harder, but to trust in Jesus. If, if the thrust of your faith is to try more and try harder and try again and try a different way and try a third and a fourth and a fifth time and, and, and see if you can get it right this time, and that's not faith. That's religion. That's rules. Jesus actually sets you free from that. 
And Paul says, which one of those things mark your, your life? I, I love in verse 2 where Paul says, he like inserts his name. He's like, just in case you forgot who wrote this letter, m- mark my words, underline it, highlight it, circle it, remember it. I, Paul, am telling you that the rules don't impress God. Now the reason why Paul threw his name in there is because we know a little bit about Paul from the book of Philippians where Paul kind of shares his religious pedigree. He says, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm Paul. I am a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born into the right family. I was a student of Gamaliel. I, I studied under the right people. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, if you were uber-religious, it wasn't good enough just to be circumcised. You had to do it on the eighth day after your birth in a certain place by a certain priest. Paul was like, look, there's, there's no one that has followed the rules more than me. This is me talking about this. I, Paul, was circumcised on the eighth day. And can I just be honest with you? That idea does not get you any closer to God. It doesn't get you any more of a star by your name that you followed some rules or that you did it at the right time. Here's how I compare it. Paul giving his name gives us a lot of credibility because the person that says it has a lot to do with the authority and the power behind it. I've heard people say money doesn't buy happiness, right? Money doesn't make you any happier. Now, if a person that doesn't have any money comes up to me and tells me that, I'm going to say, well, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you, you have no authority. You've never had any money before. You don't have any money. You've never been rich. You don't know if it makes you happy or not. You've been poor. You're, you've not been rich. Now, if the wealthiest person in the world comes up to you and says, hey, can I just, i, I got to tell you this, all of the money in the world will not buy you happiness. I'm listening to that guy because he's been there. He's done that. He's had all the money in the world, and yet here he is still not happy. And so you can understand the the depth of what Paul is saying here because when the biggest rule follower in the history of religion looks at you and says, following the rules will get you nowhere, then it carries great weight. I, Paul, the, the guy that's known for being a follower of the rules. I have been there and done that. I can tell you, it does not impress God. It does not get you any closer to him. It does not change your standing in his eyes. The second thing Paul says, you want to know you have real faith or, or whether it's fake, is this. We've got to choose law or grace. Paul says, which one of those words describes your faith as you think about it, your relationship with God? Is it law or is it grace? Uh, all throughout Scripture, we talk about this idea of uh, faith and our relationship with God being a, a family unit, like God the Father, Jesus the Son. We are adopted into God's family. We become sons and daughters of God when we put our faith and, and hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, people that go to church together, sometimes they'll call them brother in Christ or sister in Christ because it's a, it's a family unit. And so what Paul is saying here, when you talk about whether, you're, whether you're, your inclusion in the family is built on law or grace, this is sometimes, this happens in your house probably, I know it happens in my house, but my wife will sometimes call me when, when our daughters are misbehaving, and she will use very specific language to me when she explains to me what they're doing. She will say, your, Nathan, your daughters are not behaving. Your daughters will not listen. Now, when they're making all A's, she'll call me and be like, my girls made all A's. Oh, your girls, okay. Your girls made all A's. When they're just misbehaving, Nathan's children are misbehaving. And if we're not careful, we'll bring that mentality into our family of God. And we'll say, as long as I'm behaving, then I'm God's kids. 
I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. But if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, God's looking at you and he's like, are you, are you Satan's kids? Like, who are you? Who, this is not my children. These, these, these do not belong to me. And then if we impress God and we follow the rules, God's like, yes, son, daughter, welcome. Into, I'm your dad. Welcome into the family. Like, let, let me just clarify it really quick. Uh, you are not in the family of God because of your good or bad works. You are in the family of God because the blood of Jesus adopted you. Like you're in the family not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. And so if, if you can't get into the family by acting good, then you can't get out of the family by acting bad. Is law or grace. You're either, you have faith in Jesus because you accepted the grace, you've accepted the gift, or you're trying to obey the rules which will never get you in the family in the first place. Which one describes your faith? One of the translations in, in verse 4 says, you have fallen away from grace. One of the different translations says, you are out of the range of grace. Uh, I love that picture because I think about my, my keys to get into my car. Uh, most cars these days have a remote control um, unless you have to go in and put the key in, like if you drive a classic car or a hoopty, whatever, um, you have to go into it and stick it in and unlock it. But, but most cars these days, you, you have the remote. But here's the thing about the remote. The remote only works within a certain range. You, know, you have to be close enough to the car, point the remote at the car, hit the unlock button, and you can unlock it. Paul says, here's what happens, man. You and I have been given the keys of grace that unlock eternal life through Jesus Christ. Like, we have that permission. We have that access. But here's what religious people do. They began to put things in between them and God. Rules. Take a step back. Oh, you have to dress that way. All right, let me get a little bit further back. Oh, we have to say those things and not say those things. Okay, so that separates us a little bit more. And, and, and oh, I have to do these things and go to church these days and give this amount of money, so it separates me a little bit more. And Paul says eventually you get so far removed from the grace of God, you pull out the, the instrument of grace and it's out of range. You, it it, it won't, won't work anymore. We're like, what, what's happening? Why, won't it light? Why aren't the lights going off? And we have created, listen, grace hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't gone anywhere. We have pushed ourselves away so far that we forget about the grace that God has given us. We forget that our whole relationship with God started with grace. We have pushed ourselves out of range. And that's one of the ways you know that your life is built on the law and not on the grace that Jesus gives us. Which one describes your faith? One is real faith and one is not faith at all. Don't be out of range of his faith. Verse 5 says, for, for, though the, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We eagerly await by faith the righteousness that we have hoped for. The third thing is this, yet real faith is faith or works. If when you think about your relationship with God or how much God loves you or is God impressed with me, what do you think? Do you think of your faith or do you think of your works, what you have to do, what you have to say to make sure you're living the right life so that God will be impressed with you? I've told you guys this story before, but my dad, I'm keeping the tradition alive in my family. Anytime my dad traveled, he would always bring my brother and I something back from the trip. And uh, usually it was um, something uh, that we were, I don't know why we were excited about. Uh, he would stay at a hotel and he would bring us the little shampoo bottle from the hotel. 
Or if it was a swanky hotel, they'd have a shower cap in there, and he'd bring a shower cap back, and that was awesome. We always loved those. Every time he would come in the door, we would, we would get excited. We were eagerly awaiting the gift that the father brought. And so like when I got home from Orlando, I brought my girls a, uh, a chocolate alligator. We have chocolate Easter bunnies here in, in Florida. They have chocolate alligators. And so I got chocolate alligators. And when I walked in the door, my girls were just so excited. They're like, Dad, what did you bring us? What did you bring us, Dad? I was like, I love you too. I missed you. All right. What did you bring us? Give us our gift, Dad. And so I sat them down. Look, my kids didn't earn that. They didn't go to the airport. They didn't speak at the conference. They didn't do anything. I had to go do it. All they did was sit at home and eagerly await the gift that the Father would bring. It's the same thing with our faith. We don't earn it. We don't work towards it. We don't, like, you didn't go to the cross. You didn't live a sinless life. There's nothing you can do. We sit and eagerly await the gift that is Christ Jesus, his life given for us. And at some point in our life, we understand that, we hear that, and we accept the gift. We're people eagerly awaiting the gift of the Father. That's what true faith is. That's how you know if it's real. If it's something you're working towards or trying to earn or try to do to your, yourself, that's not faith. That's works. But the faith, the gift that we desire is eagerly awaited and only given by the Father. We cannot earn that through any kind of works. This was a really freeing statement for me. God doesn't love you any more on your best day or any less on your worst day. God loves you not for who you are, but for what Jesus has already done. That means on your best day of following all of the rules and saying all the right things and giving away everything and being kind to everyone, God does not look at you and think, today you have impressed me. And when you sin and you are far from God and when you don't do what you're supposed to do and you make mistakes and you get to the end of the day and you're like, man, spiritually I've been a failure today. God doesn't look down and say, yeah, and I love you less today. God's love for you does not hinge on your works. It hinges on what Jesus did on the cross and our ability to put our faith and trust in him. That's real faith. A gift that is given to us by the Father, even on your best day, even on your worst day. The faith stays the same. Verse 6, for, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. You can do it or not, I don't care. Insert any other rule. Do the rule or don't do the rule. Be religious, don't be religious. It has no value. It does not impress God. God does not care about it either way. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The fourth way we can know if your faith is real is we ask the question why instead of asking the question what. See, people with fake faith, they're constantly asking God, what must I do? What must I do? Circumcision? Okay, I'll do it. Give a certain amount of my money away? Okay, I'll do it. What, what next? Join a group? Okay. Serve? Okay, great. Join a church? Go to church every Sunday? Wear nice clothes? Done. I'll do it. What must I do next, God? Whereas true followers of Jesus, they don't ask what they have to do. They understand why they do everything they do. Why am I generous? Because of the generosity of God in my life. That's why. It's not because you told me to be generous. I know who God is. I have, I have real faith. Why do you love God and you love others? It's not because the Bible told me to. It's because I've encountered the true love of God. 
And when you've encountered that, then you love other people. It's not about, God, what must I do? It's understanding everything that God has done for you and say, that's why I have to do the same. That's why I want to do it. That's why I want to honor God. That's why I go the places I go and say the things I say and don't say the things that I don't say. Like, it's not because somebody told me I had to. It's because I understand what Jesus has done for me, and it dictates everything else. I know the why. I know the why, and, and people that are jumping through hoops that are religious are just constantly asking, Jesus, what must I do next? What would you like? What would impress you? What would make me better in your eyes? What would it take for, for me to be on your good list? What would it take for me to be better than everyone else? And Paul simply says, the why? It's faith through love. Love determines everything. The love that God has for you and the love that you have for God, the fact that God said love God and love people, all the commandments can be summarized into one thing, love. So it's the why behind the what. This is why I do what I do. This is why I know my faith is real. This is why I'm a follower of Jesus. This is why everything has a why. And it's not just a list of the things that we have to accomplish in order to impress God. Verse 7, you were running a good race. You started out really well. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Here's the, the fifth mark of, of true faith. Focus over confusion. Paul says you started the race really focused. It was about Jesus. Who saved you? Jesus. Who gave you the gift? Jesus. What matters? Jesus. How do you get to heaven? Jesus. What did God do for you? Jesus. Who do we follow? Jesus. Why do we serve those people? Jesus. 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 And then he said something happened. Somebody cut in front of you and distracted you. These religious people come in the door and they start saying, well, actually, Jesus is great. I'm right with you, right here with you. But it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus rules. It's not just a straight line to Jesus. It's Jesus, and then we got to ver- veer off a little bit here, because we got to be good people, and then after you're good people for a long time, you got to be even better people, and then you got to give more, and then you got to do more, and serve, and, and now you're running in circles, and Paul says you were really in, in a really great race where your eyes were focused on Jesus, and, and now you don't even know what direction you're heading in, and he says people have caused confusion and so many people, if you ask them what their faith is like, they would use the word confused. Well, which denomination is best? Well, which version of the Bible is best? Which translation do I use? How many devotions do Do you have to read your Bible every day? Do you have to pray every day? Is it just before meals? I don't know. How much do you have to give away? Like, I'm serious. Like, what is the exact number? Because somebody said this number, another person said more, and another person says give it all or be willing to give whatever. And do you have to serve? Do you serve every day? Pray every day. What, what are, like, it's just so confusing. Everybody's saying, and, and Paul says, man, that's, that's how you know your faith may not be real because you're, again, you're focused on the what instead of the why. And instead of being focused on Jesus, we're focused on what we must do. And it's a state of confusion. Hey, if you're confused here this morning, let me, let me put you back on track. Jesus. Who are we run into? Jesus. Who do we serve? Jesus. Why do we serve? Because Jesus served. Why do we love? Because Jesus loved us. Jesus, focus on what really matters. That's where true faith is found and executed. Last verses, verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. It gets real intense here to close it out. As those who are agitators, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. The, the final part that Paul closes down is this sixth way to know if your faith is real or not. Is it personal or is it someone else's? Last two verses, Paul says that's what they've done. That's what they've said. That's what they think. But what about you? I've met people where I'll ask them, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? And they'll say, yeah, I go to Revo. Oh, no, I didn't ask you what, what your church believed. I said, what about you? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. My, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my mom always brought me to church. My grandma used to tell me Bible stories. Great. So now I know your mom is a Christian and your grandma is. What about you? Is your faith yours or is it somebody else's? Are you piggybacking on a past generation? Like, like were you born into this faith or is it yours? Paul says, I don't care about what they say. Right or wrong, what about you? What about you? What about the decision that you have made? Is the faith yours or not? It's not your mom's, not your dad's, not your grandmother's, not your church's, not your pastor's, not the person you came with today. I'm not asking who, what their faith is. What about yours? Because true faith will always be personal. It'll be yours. You'll own it. You'll know it. It won't be because someone else told me or someone else believed it or I read it in a book somewhere. It's like I know it's mine. It's personal. So the average person may look at this text and say, all right, so Paul comes in, says, don't get circumcised. I hear you, Nathan. Write this down. If anybody asks you this week to be circumcised, say no. And some of you ladies in here, you don't even need to write that down to remember it. Like, I just, I'm not going to be tempted with it. Great. Wad it up. Throw it away. Let's move on to the next text. That's what the average person would say. You guys are not the average people. I know. Did you know that circumcision is alive and well in 2019? There are rules that we have put into place that we have convinced ourselves that as long as we will follow, then God will be impressed. And the bad part about following rules is you like for other people to follow those rules as well. And if we're following a rule, then we will actually judge other people that aren't following the rules. Wait a minute, what, what music do you listen to? What radio station is that? You, ha you, you have Lil Wayne on your playlist? Wow. Wonder what God would think of that. Oh, you went on vacation this year. You know what I did with my money? I uh, sponsored some starving kids overseas. But you do whatever you want to. What kind of car do you drive? Brand new Mercedes, huh? C can I just remind you that whether you drive a brand new Mercedes or a beat up Mazda, you don't impress God. You don't impress God because you did some. Now listen, there's a lot of great reasons to do the things I said, but it is not to try to earn your way to God. It is not because God is going to look down at the car you drive or the house that you live in or the job that you have or how you spend your money on vacation at the beach and say, hmm, disappointed. That's rules. That's not a relationship. That's you trying to earn your way to God. And Paul starts out and says, guess what? God has freed you from that. God has opened the door of the cage. Don't jump from one cage to another. He has delivered you. It's not that any of those things are good or bad. It's that they will not get you any closer to God. But we have set up our own rules, our own system, 
that we like to look at other people and judge, well, I'm, I'm better than them, I'm a better Christian, I'm a holier person, God is more impressed with me, I'm closer to him. And Paul says, what are you doing? If that's what you're going to do, just go the whole way. Just be all about works. Be all about thinking that you're a better person. In the meantime, I'll follow Jesus. That's where the hope is. That's where the freedom is. It's the why behind the what. It's the freedom from trying to be a good person and setting your eyes on the only one that was good and paid the ultimate price for your sin and mine, and his name is Jesus. That's the freedom that I'm talking about today. That's true faith that's found in him.